Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I need a coach, and the best coach I know is the Lord. I just let him coach me. And I, I mean, sometimes it's not doing something, it's just sitting there. It's the solitude of it all. That was Morris Mahalski, Coach Mo as he's known. He's the chaplain and life coach for USA Basketball and works with Athletes in Action. And he's today's guest. Welcome to Dan Dickow's Quarantine Series on the Scorebook Life Today podcast. As the world, particularly the world of sports, is shut down due to the coronavirus, we're ramping things up a notch here at Scorebook Live. Every weekday, Dan interviews an expert in the world of sports, from star hoopers and coaches like Steve Kerr, Jamal Crawford, and Doug Christie, to seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder Phil Heath. We hope you're entertained and maybe learn a thing or two as we navigate these uncertain times. The easiest way to tune in is by subscribing. In addition to our weekly Washington High School Sports News and Conversation podcast released Thursdays, hosted by myself, Andy Bueller, fellow reporter Todd Millis, Dan is bringing you interviews just like this one delivered five days a week. Head to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe for free, and while you're there, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Before we get to Dan's interview today, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Washington Federal. Washington Federal is a local bank and portfolio lender with more than 200 branches across eight states, more than 32,000 fee-free ATMs, 24-7 online and mobile banking with drive-up ATMs. Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live. They care deeply about high school sports and the communities that support them across the entire state of Washington. Head to WFDBank.com to learn how they can help you meet your financial goals. That's WAFDBank.com. Washington Federal, a neighbor you can count on. We hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Now, Dan Dickow. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live Washington, today with our podcast in our quarantine series where instead of our usual once a week conversation with our journalists in the market, uh, I catch up with an expert in the world of sports, whether it's an athlete, a coach, a front office executive in the NBA, an author, whatever it is. Um, there are so many people in the world of sports that can provide some insight, some advice, and some nuggets. And today is a very unique and a, a special to me guest in the fact that he is a mentor to me. Unfortunately, we don't talk as much as, as I would hope because of all of our busy times during the basketball season. Somebody who has worked with a basketball ministry organization for a little over 16 years, Morris Mahalski. Coach Mo, how is things, how is life, uh, what's going on in your world these days? Uh, I'm making chicken salad right now. I get to cook more. and It's not like I aspired to be a cook. I aspired to be a coach, but uh, just changed the spelling around whatever to uh, I'm making chicken salad for my family. And uh, I'm still dreaming and I'm still spending a lot of time with coaches and players and um, and zooming while I do it. Yeah, people are, are zooming. That's the new way of business. That's the way that we are conducting this 
uh, conversation, this interview right now. And you mentioned taking care of your family. And I, I have always admired that about you. I've always respected that about you of how you hold your, your family life and, and your relationships in, in such a high esteem. I look at that and the way that I saw you and met you for the first time in summer of 1999 when I was transitioning as a player from the University of Washington to Gonzaga, and I had a chance to go on an athletes in action trip. We went to Poland and Croatia. And you mentioned taking care of your family, but in a short amount of time of a group of, of young men that was together for about 17, 18 days, kind of scattered across the world and, and seeing sites, playing basketball games, um, you took care of a group of young men. Yes. As a coach, what does that mean to you to take care of a group of young men? Wow. Well, you set that one up. So, so Dan, let's just be straight here. The, the biggest wins that we can ever get, I think, are the wins at home. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean in our, our own arenas. I, I, well, yeah, in, in a way, you want to hold serve. You have to hold serve. Matter of fact, I'm thinking about the, um, the last dance, the, the deal that's running on, um, on ESPN right now, which is fascinating. But I remember uh, much earlier in my coaching career that uh, Michael, Jordan, Michael Jordan said, look, we're going to aim to win every game at home and then try to split 50-50 on the road. And if we do that, we're going to have the best record in the league. And that's what they – chose to do and then that would give them home court advantage for all of the playoffs and and that usually played out that way um but there's something in that line that i want to call our, our attention to and that's just winning at home and um whether it's my own nuclear family i got to get deposits in there i got to get wins there relational wins and then the other thing that really drives me um in coaching is thinking about this, that I, I want to make the whole greater than the sum of the parts. Now, how does that connect to, to family or how does that, you know, connect to building a team? Well, I think the greatest satisfaction for a coach should be that very thing. I don't know that it's going to be, it should be the scoreboard. I know that that's what culture says, but the deepest satisfactions come when the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. It's not one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals five. It should equal seven, eight, nine, and 10, 12, 50. And when you got that thing rolling, that's when you can really feel successful, that you can feel, matter of fact, not even successful, but significant. How's that, how's that for a pushback? Um, every time we get a chance to talk, I end up hanging up the phone and kind of reflecting on a few things that you always say. And you have, always have a way of putting things in perspective of, of of what needs to be a priority, what needs to be a focus, whether it's on the basketball court, whether it's family life. Right now, there these are some very uncertain times um, in this country and in this world. And, and a lot of people are looking to coaches or they're looking to teachers or political leaders, whatnot, for, for guidance or for um, leadership. You were in a position of leadership for many, many years as a college coach before you got going with athletes in action. How did you get into coaching and how did you value being a leader on a team like that? You know, I got into coaching. The first time I knew that I wanted to be a coach uh, surprised me. It was during my junior senior season of college and um, 
I herniated discs in my back uh, badly, multiple discs in my back the night before the, the first practice of the year. Back then it was October 15th. And uh, uh, I got sidelined for a whole year, for a whole season. It just didn't, my back didn't recover very well. So I began to look at the game differently and I tried to figure out what can I do to help my team when I can't score, I can't rebound, I can't pass, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And somewhere there was a shift that God helped me to see that, well, there's things that you can do. And I began to think more like a coach and leveraging everything that I had, my mind, my emotions, my ability to connect with others. And I, I just put it all into that. And we ended up having a fantastic season. And I never forgot that. And so that when I finished, I said, you know what? This is really special. This is really, really special. And the whole idea of getting to set the definitions, I can't do it. But if I can set the right definitions for guys, um, what to see and how to prepare, um, uh, how to speak the truth, how to, to leverage the power of the tongue, how to extend grace, how to deliver hope, um, how to think about what's important now, the W-I-N. And, and um, you know, coaching really is influence. Leadership is influence. It's just, and I realized that I, I could have more influence than I thought during that one sideline year. And that's where it really birthed. And then it kind of exploded from then. You, you mentioned the word influence and people in this culture have a lot of influence when you are put in a position of power and some people use it positively. Some people use it negatively. I remember that athletes in action trip summer of 1999, the power and the influence that you had in a short amount of time on a group of guys that had never met each other before um, was something to behold. There was, I believe there was eight players on the trip and five or six of us are still in fairly close contact. I mean, with the day and age of everyone having kids and family and business life, it, it makes it harder. Um, but we have the ability to connect with each other um, fairly frequently. At what point in your building of a coaching philosophy did you realize that the influence that you can have can be directed to such a positive and then how, did you, how do you maintain that with so many different guys that, quite frankly, you probably you haven't seen? You and I haven't seen each other face-to-face -face in probably five, six years. How do you do that? That hurts. That hurts. Ah, that hurts. This feels good, but that hurts. Uh, it's a good thing that we can text. It's a good thing we can talk um, otherwise. Um, you know what else I didn't tell you was that when I was in college, I, there was an insurance man that did family insurance for us. And uh, he sent me a book that just uh, had come out. And I don't know why, what in the world would possess an insurance man that I had never met to, uh, to do this. But he sent a book to me while I was in college during that year. And it was called They Call Me Coach by John Wooden. And uh, it's a narrative. I mean, you, he opens up his own life and he tells stories about how he navigated through all the seasons. And I found myself on that journey. And I, um, and the, you know, the, the biggest takeaway was just what he valued and, and the strength of relationships, like at the, at the core of his pyramid, like I, I memorized his pyramid of success and his definition of success. And I made all my players memorize it with me 
through uh, all my coaching career, at least the definition of success. They had to recite it. They had to recite it straight up, man to man, to me, no flinch. And um, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of the self-satisfaction of knowing that you've done the best you can to become the best you're capable of being. And I wanted them to, to feel that. But, but all the stories, the relationships made me think that that's, that's where we're going to get our, our wins. And can I just tell you um, a, a quick anecdote? It happened two years ago. So I took a bunch of guys just like you, Dan, once upon a time. I took them and we went to uh, represent the United States in, in the Pan Am Games. And it was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. So you got all the teams from Canada all the way through to uh, Chile and Argentina, 25 and under tournament. And all these guys have been playing with each other, but then we had to make up this team out of scratch. And we had five guys that committed to the roster, and then they all committed to go into the NBA draft, uh, well, at least into the, to the, uh, the combine, committed to the whatever, the pre-draft. And they could return if they chose to. So we lost half of our roster just about right off the bat. And then there, weren't, there wasn't as much time to, to get a roster together, so we didn't have a whole lot of like major conference players. And yet we said, okay, well, I'm just going to trust God with what you give us. And I'm going to depend upon the fact that our relational equity that we put into them is going to do something. So we had only four days of training camp and then two days of practice in Brazil, uh, actually three. And we chose one of them to spend time with at a prison for young adults, just because why not seize the opportunity to, to just grow as men in every possible way. And that was a risky gamble. I'm going to tell you that. And yet we turned around, and in that tournament, we marched straight through to gold medal performances, something that was not replicated the next year with a much better roster uh, that was brought by other people. And it just proved, again, the power, the power of the relational equity that you put into guys. Um, that relational equity uh, becomes so powerful over the course of time. And I think that's one reason you and I have stayed in touch to this day. And I really respect you as a mentor. You mentioned somebody who <laughs> you mentioned someone who I think is the, the greatest coach of all time. And that's John Wooden. Um, you had um, you're connected with athletes in action every year at the final four, you guys would honor John Wooden. Uh, I had a chance to meet Still John Wooden at yeah. one of those breakfasts from my senior year back in Atlanta in, in 2002. From your perspective, what separated somebody like John Wooden as a person and a coach? Oh, wow. Well, we talked about the relational equity. We talked about scoreboards. You know, he, I, I honestly think that he didn't – I didn't think that he let the scoreboard control his life. I think, it, I think he knew that the scoreboard lied. It, it always told you that you're better than you were or you were not as good as you are. And so he let other, other – there was other ways of defining success that infected him and then infected his, infected his teams. And some people would argue, well, he had really good recruits. Yeah, he did, but so did everybody else. It was just the whole that became greater than the sum of the parts. I think that John Wooden, um, John Wooden rejected arrogance. He brought a confidence, and remember he, he, he said, too, that um, he, really was, he was really known for not scouting that much. He was known for just, doing the, just making sure that his team was well-prepared. 
And um, I'm going to give you a, an anecdote, too, that has played out in my life because there's a little wooden that's played over. And I've done this more recently, Dan, in my, in my uh, coaching career and my, my connections with coaches all over the country. So I like to ask, you know, at big games, I might be at um, – I'll give you, for instance, it was the Big Ten ACC Challenge last year. And I went to the hotel of the visiting team to spend time with the coach, coaching staff before the game. Now, I know very well where I was going and who they were playing. But I walked up to the head coach in front of his assistants, and I said, hey, good to see you. Hey, tell me real quickly here, um, who are you playing tonight? Like, that was the opening conversation. We met in the lobby. And it's like a stupid question. And he just paused, and he just – he just said, uh, and it was such and such a Big Ten school. And I said, no. No, I, I don't think so. That's not, what, that's not what I thought. And he goes, no, 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 that's who we're playing. You know, such and such state. And I, I said, no, I don't think so. I think, you know who you're playing tonight? You're playing someone who's in trouble. And then he looked at me with a lot more pause. You see, I think we play this game that sometimes we, we, we know we're supposed to respect our opponent, but sometimes that, that just that trips over into this idea of fearing them. And I don't see, when I, like, when I read the Bible, I don't see stories about guys that feared their opponent. They just had one really good fear. And then because of that one really good fear, it cast out all others. And I think as, as coaches, um, to help ourselves, but to help our teams, help our kids, to, to learn to dismiss fear. I mean, we're in the pandemic right now here, and there's a lot of reasons to entertain fear. But I don't, I don't think it has to go completely that way. I'm not saying put your head in the sand and be ignorant. But there's a point where you have to face fear, and you have to look for something that's a greater fear. And then the other thing is gratefulness. And I saw a lot of that in Coach Wooden. And frankly, the more gratefulness we put in, the, less, uh, the more fear flies out of us. It's hard to be grateful and fearful at the same time, my man. Wow. Again, you know, every time we chat, uh, there's always a good story, a good nugget in there. And if somebody's listening to this, I'm, hopefully they are as blown away or impressed with that as I am because – I'm sitting here looking at you on this Zoom call, and I'm I'm shaking my head and being grateful for those comments. Very impactful, or have a chance to be very impactful if if you really uh, let them sink in. Your time with athletes in action, uh, as a coach, as an administrator, as a chaplain, you've been all over the world. Two yep. questions here: How many countries have you been in? because of your love of the game of basketball and what is the greatest atmosphere that you've been in with this unbelievable game? Oh, wow. Okay. You're now you're zooming. You're not zooming in. You're zooming out. Oh my. Okay. So the, the quick answer is through basketball. Um, I've had to touch 38 countries so far. So, and that's every continent. I've been to every continent. Um, you know, New Zealand, Australia, Asia, Africa, Latin America, Europe, Europe with you, and then a few more times. And uh, yeah, it's, it's stacked up. So that's boots on the ground. Um, 
And you know what's really fascinating is to see the game everywhere. I spent time with the uh, NBA Global Games when uh, the Kings and the Pacers played in um, uh, this past October and then got a chance to spend an extra week just doing basketball camps and clinics and working with coaches all over India just to get a feel for the grassroots movement there and what we can do to help help grow the game and its people. You know, um, I'll sneak this in. I just – this is my wake-up. This is what I say to myself in the morning. Um, it's like a little mantra. I just say, for the good of the game, the growth of its people, to the glory of God. And then I get off and zoom in, or get off and go is what I mean. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot. Um, what is a, a great moment? God, man. Um, you know, um, Wow. You know, I, probably reaching in, your, your audience will probably enjoy something that has to do with USA basketball. And I, I think about my role there um, when uh, Jerry Colangelo took over and, uh, and he wanted to kind of rewrite things and kind of, you know, help build a new culture. And I think we've largely done that um, under, his, under his tenure when he took over in 2005. And uh, when he approached athletes in action, and I got, I became aware of this. I said, I said, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? And he said, uh, you figure it out. I'm sure you will. And I mean, for our role or our part in it. And um, I want to, I'll take you forward to um, a moment. There was a really good moment in London um, um, in 2012, um, I'm thinking about 2016 Rio, 2019 in World Cup. Um, man. Um, all right, let's just stay in London. Okay. So we're, it's, it's all optional, but a number of the guys came and it, it just, you just get together and you, you huddle before the game, like long before the game, like pregame meal, and you just spend time with guys. And you open up the greatest playbook in the world. I believe it's the Bible. And, it, and so much of it tells a story about a guy who never lost. I mean, there's one guy that never lost, ever. I mean, there's a, probably a few shaky times where it didn't look good, but somehow got rescued. And so that commands my attention, Dan. It, it just does. And so, um, so we get together and we would just talk, talk through the scriptures and then listen to each other. And then, you know, huddle up and go, pray and go. And, you know, you're just off to your pregame meal and you get ready. So we get to the very last day of the Olympics. And um, there's nothing left at the Olympics except for the marathon and the men's bronze medal game and the men's gold medal game. And we made it, fortunately, again to the gold medal game. And so we're three and a half hours before playing Spain. And we're there in a, a little room uh, with a good number of guys. And so we get to the end of the whole deal, get to the end of, uh, of our session. And here's the question that got thrown out. What is it about your Olympic experience that you're going to remember most? And I, 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 I just kind of said, what do you think, guys? And I thought they would talk about, you know, riding, uh, seeing Buckingham Palace or watching sand volleyball in the backyard of Buckingham or meeting Barack Obama in the locker room or the gifts or the Nike stuff or the, you know, 
hitting 29 threes against uh, in one game against Nigeria or, 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 or. And uh, one guy raised his hand, and I really didn't want him to raise his hand, and he raised his hand first, and it's Andre Iguodala. And Andre said, um, the thing I'm going to remember most about the Olympics is this. He was like a good schoolboy that repeated the question. And I was just horrified that he raised his hand first because I thought he was going to break the, the direction that I was really hoping that things would go, something real reflective, because you see, he got traded two days before. He got traded on Friday of the Olympics from Philadelphia to Denver, and then he had that little stay in Denver, and then he moved on to Golden State, okay? So he got traded, and I thought he was just going to raise his hand because he's very bright and, and fun. And I thought he'd say, yeah, the thing I remember most is getting my traded, traded. And instead, here's what he said, Dan. He said, the thing I'm going to remember most about the Olympics is this. And he had a long pause. And guys started looking at him like, man, can't, did you forget what you were going to say? And he just looked back at us. He says, no, no, it's this. It's us getting together and talking like real men and getting in front of real truth. That's what I'm going to remember most. That, that, is, that is awesome. That is so powerful. And it leads me to the last question I wanted to ask you um, before I let you go. And I, I big time appreciate your time and, and your words of wisdom. You're in a position where people are constantly looking at you for advice, for wisdom, as, as I just mentioned. Somebody like you, who's always pouring into others, Coaches are the same. Athletic directors typically can be the same. How do you become refreshed? How does Coach Mo get refreshed so that you can continue to have that same type of impact on, on athletes and coaches that you come in contact with? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, because you can't. There's this, you know, this thing where you can't keep giving water to other people unless there's water coming into you. And I, I recognize that. And while there's a lot of withdrawals that are being made from me, I got to make sure that of the deposits. So I'm going to tell you a few things. Um, number one, I believe in rest. I mean, like emotional rest. I mean, soul rest. I mean, boundaries. I mean, saying no to some other things so that I can create space. And that's critical. I think one of the things about this pandemic and the, you know, the quarantining all of this is kind of a, a wake up. I think all of us should feel this, should be feeling this, not just fear or frustration at our lack of control that we have right now. I think the other, the, the theme that we should be thinking about is just the benefits of rest, of, of reflection. There's something, God meets people at moments of, of rest and there's, the idea of Sabbath is, is uh, a holy tradition, you know, across the world um, uh, for, for millennia. And I think sometimes we just run through that and it feeds our arrogance to think that we can go 24-7 and that basketball never stops. Well, in some sense it doesn't because the globe keeps spinning. But, but 
and I've seen it all over the world. But there's this other sense that we got to listen to that that R word, rest, and find it. Second is um, I, I like to find people who I know will pray for me, and just tell them, "Would you just pray for me? I don't even have to explain everything." Um, and then uh, third is is making sure that I get to the playbook because I think I, I need a coach and the best coach I know is the Lord. I just let him coach me. And I, I mean, sometimes it's not doing something. It's just sitting there. It's the solitude of it all. And um, it's, yes, it's reading. Uh, I love biographies to, to learn from other people's stories. We just talked about the Jimmy Dykes book that I'm, starting to read. I just got the Ernie Johnson book, Unscripted, which is, um, is fantastic. Um, I love biographies. And um, I think that's kind of, and then friends, friends, like this means something to me today, um, to bear my heart. We just went through a, a deal with one of your teammates, Reed, and just listening to his heart and his, his story and, and just going back and forth and uh, you know, I believe in the better together. That's that's a sign that that hangs on the front door of our house. Better together. And so God God places people in our lives, and to discover them and then to invest in them is really, 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 really critical. If you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. Run together. So those are a few things. Those are uh, those are some of my pillars, and I I try my best to just practice that and. I love what it's happened to me. It's kept me, I think it's still got kick in me, man. Well, you absolutely have uh, a lot of kick in you still. I, it's been great connecting again and, and chatting, uh, having you join our Scorebook Live Washington Today podcast. And I, I couldn't agree with you more with one of the last things that you just said right there is we are better together, whether that's um, as a team, whether that's as a family, whether that's as a basketball community or a nation or, or a world. So, Coach Mo, it's always special to talk to you. I really appreciate you joining us here today. And uh, hopefully it won't be as long before we chat the next time. I sure it won't be. I know that's for sure. No, I'm calling a technical foul on both of us. and We get ejections. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again. Appreciate the time. Take care. Always. Love you, Dan. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.